0: I remember that this one particular time, you know, there was some kids, and you know, these kids were always picking. And um, I needed some help. I was trying to identify what was on my plate because I really I didn't know what was on there. So you know, at that time, I had to kind of feel and try to figure it out what was my utensil or fork, or whatever. But so there was these kids that came by and they and they, you know, they thought it was funny to spit in my food. Oh, someone is. Someone is. I'm not Weeks. Um I'm actually from the state of Virginia and uh, I'm just a typical guy who um, has experienced some things in his lifetime and has uh, made a vow to use those particular experiences um, that I've had to deal with and I've also had to overcome to empower others to go the distance and today hopefully I get to share a story that will help to inspire
1: others to do just that. Thank you. So you're a musician, a speaker and an educator, among other things. But you've had some, some pretty unique challenges in your life, some interesting challenges in your life that have shaped you into who you've become and, and how you live your life. And uh, I guess one of the biggest ones is that you lost your sight at the age of five.
0: I did. Absolutely, I did.
1: Um, so diagnosed with was it Stevens-Johnson Syndrome?
0: Yes. Stevens-Johnson Syndrome, uh, well SJS-10, so it stands for Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis. Yes that was the condition at the time and on top of that you were
1: also told you only had uh, up to a year to live so six months to a year as as a five-year-old what like what was that like for you did you were you able to process that information did you understand what was going on
0: well i'll be honest with you um from what i can truly remember um and and then the, the combination of what i can remember and what i've been told but i i don't really believe that i could truly process what that means that you had a year to live. <laughs> Realistically, as I got older, my family, my mother in particular, had shared with me that that was the prognosis at that time, that um, you know they really didn't feel that six months to a year would really be the length of time that I had left to live. What I did know and what I can honestly remember is I was really, really sick and i do remember um losing my sight and not being able to see and i remember asking questions with my mother at the time of why is this happening to me um i can remember saying to her did i do something wrong you know because That piece of it is what I really couldn't process, because at the time, it just seemed as though um, I was aware that, you know, other kids my age were out playing. They were having fun. They were playing with their other kids. And here I was as this five year old and I had been in the hospital for nearly a year. And um, every challenge. it, It appeared to me as a five year old that could that could possibly happen to you. Had happened to me, you know. I couldn't see. Um, I lost eighty-five percent of the skin, the top layer of skin, you know, that you have on your body. Um, you know, a lot of that had just peeled off. Um, I had a fever pushing a hundred and eight degrees at the age of five. So it was. It was just so many things um, that you know that reaching back to this younger version of myself that I can remember. I don't ever remember per se processing that, you know, you had X amount of time to live because that's not really something that my mom or my family really kept in the forefront. You know, it's not like they shared with me, you know, you, you may be dying. What I do remember on top of this though, is that they encouraged me to continue fighting (laughs) <laughs> and I, and I remember the story my mother shared with me that um y- you know as she shared with me William you got to fight you're going to get better you know that was she was encouraging me you know things are going to get better William but you really got to fight so that we can go home and you can be home with dad and and you know your brothers and sisters and the mind of a five-year-old I thought she meant I had to physically fight (laughs) so I remember my mom telling me the story that I lifted up my little fist at that time thinking "Well, I I had to fight but um you know that's not what she meant she meant you you know you've got to really push and you got to really um you know you got to really believe that you can get better so that we can go home and you can be with the rest of the family
1: well, your mother sounds like an amazing woman, and uh, I can't imagine what it must have been like for you going through
0: that. But you know, amazing to have had her. Well, I will tell anyone, and and I tell this story all the time. My mother, Mary Weeks, Mary O'Weeks, um, she's passed now, but she was a rock, um, strong, and just. You know, she was just this powerful force, you know, in your life. And and uh, my mom was, so much of, of the credit goes to her as a mother who, who even though in the face of, of just some amazing turbulence and just some amazing trials and tribulations and what she had to deal with when it came to me, this woman continued... To teach me the value of of um, of loving life, of um, you know continuing to do the very best you can, and the importance of going the distance, you know. And um, um, I think that it's, it's it's really important to understand that for almost a whole year that I was in the hospital, my mother was there. And she did not leave my bedside one time that entire year, the entire time. She was there cheering me on, cheering me up. That was her.
1: As a five-year-old, losing your sight, So I, you know, I'm thinking about you know, how you experience the world as a, as a young child. Losing your sight must be one of the scariest things in the world, and being so sick and being in hospital in this strange environment with all of these doctors poking and prodding. But having your mom there by your side must have like, really, I guess, helped put aside some of those fears that, that you might have been feeling.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think that having mom just at your bedside and every time I would wake up, looking over to the left or the right of me and realizing mom's there, you know, and and it was for that purpose to make me feel better that she really didn't wander too far. Or if she did, she always tried to wait until I was asleep or, um, you know, um, so that there was this sense of comfort, you know, and she she wanted me to be as comfortable as possible, even though I was going through one of the you know the <laughs> one of the worst uh, scenarios that I, I think a kid could probably go through. But um, yeah, you know it, it was uh, it, w- it was very comforting knowing that she was there. As a matter of fact, what was interesting is that um, my father from time to time would come over usually on the weekends, he would try to come over there to see me. And he would also come over to try to give, you know, my mother a break because, you know, all week long, you know, my mother was was basically tending to me, you know, um, while I was there in the hospital. And the only person that I would allow to stay with me while my dad would come and, you know, just try to get my mom out the hospital and just, just you know, just go out and get something to eat or just kind of detach away from what was going on was my sister, which was my sister who was next to me in age. And her name was Mosella. <laughs> and it was interesting because even as an adult, I can remember then, you know, just. It, when I knew and I had I understood that my mom was going to be leaving out with my dad, but she would always say, you know, we'll be right back. And the only person I wanted there with me was Pecan. That's what we called her, Pecan. And, um, so I was comfortable with her being there. And, uh, you know, I, I would say this, that, you know, just having that strong loving support system and that family, um, I can say with a level of assurance that that helped to push me through this. You know, obviously
1: your family would have been absolutely devastated at the diagnosis and the situation that you were going through. But the fact that they were still trying to encourage you and be there for you, it you know, it's, it's an amazing situation. And you mentioned... Um, I guess, uh, feeling excluded from life um, a little bit with, you know, other kids going out and playing and the stuff. Did you ever feel like giving up? Did you ever at any point lose faith and think, you know what, I just, I can't fight anymore?
0: You know, I, I will share with you that I have had those feelings um, as a much older kid. Um, and, you know, I attended a, a public school system um, in the area where I grew up in and this is of course well after I got out of the hospital and um you know things uh, actually got much better um you know and and they didn't really think that it was but uh it did and so I remember starting back in in the public school and uh it was a fight because I grew up in a really, really poor county and resources were limited. And I know that there are a lot of people who are listening out there who can certainly attest to what I'm saying, who've grown up in, you know, areas where there's just limited resources, there's limited funding. I, I grew up in and attended a school system that really didn't have the knowledge to know how and the staff with the expertise to really work with a student like myself who at that time was totally blind. So I, I went through the gamut. I, 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 mean, I really, really struggled. And a lot of the things that I should have had access to as a child with, with a disability, a lot of the commendations that I should have had, I did not have. And so, yeah, those, um, those experiences there, it really did create, um, you know, some doubt in my mind, you know, you know, moving forward just as a kid that, you know, I I just kind of felt like, you know, this was pointless, you know, yeah. it, I just kind of felt as though I didn't have a support system outside of family, you know, I felt like that everything for me had to be so much harder to attain or to do than everyone else around me. And yeah, it, it was devastating.
1: Yeah. Goodness. Yeah.
0: And I suppose,
1: you know, leaving leaving the hospital and kind of going back home would have been somewhat exciting for you. You know, finally here, I'm able to feel like I'm recovering somewhat. I'm going back into a, a familiar environment. But without your sight... And the challenges you must have faced coming back into a, 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 what should have been a familiar environment, but was now completely different in terms of how you were perceiving it. Did that also like impact you negatively or did you just look at it as, okay, this is just a new challenge, something for me to also fight and overcome?
0: Well, I think it's important to understand that when, when I came home, you know, um, everything... A lot of the motor skills, you know, the gross motor skills, fine motor skills, um, a lot of things I had to be retaught. You know, I had to learn how to do very basic things like how to hold a cup in my hand, you know, without spilling it. You know, Um, I had to learn how to jump. And how to play in the sense of maybe running or skipping and hopping, you know those kinds of things. I had to be taught how to do all over again. And uh, of course, this was aside from the lack of sight, but just the um, the effects that stevens Johnsons had had on me. Um, you know, there was a lot of things I had to learn to do over again. So it was it was quite a few barriers that were that I had to learn to maneuver around um, and. Of course, sight was leading the pack because at that time, I just had what was called light perception, meaning that I couldn't really see figures or shapes, or um, you know, I really couldn't see, uh, you know, the the detail or clarity of any of of anything or anyone. But I could tell whether the lights were on or off. You know, I could. I remember if I could walk outside or if I would walk outside, I could tell that it was daytime or if it was nighttime. But other than that, you know, that was the extent of it. It was very, very scary because um, I remember as a child before I got sick having sight. And I remember being able to run outside and play and jump on my bicycle and and, you know, throw a baseball or a football or whatever. You know, I remember those things. And then all of a sudden, just as quickly as those memories would enter my mind, it was like all of that was just swiped away because now I couldn't do any of it. So it was a devastating set of events that um I really didn't know because I was so young how to truly process. Yeah, I just knew that these were things that I couldn't do anymore.
1: So adjusting to that whole situation at home and uh, balancing challenges at school, how did you get through all of that? Uh, how did you get to a point where you felt like you were beginning to overcome some of these challenges?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot of moving pieces and parts, you know, to that, that part of my life and to that story. Um, so I will address it by saying this, you know, I came from a praying family, you know, I came from a, a family that believed in the power of prayer who believed in, um, you know, um, um, b- believed in that there was a, a, a bigger, a bigger plan in place here that the um, that the Lord you know, even though it seemed as though this horrible thing or these horrible set of events were happening to me, that there was, uh, you know, a bigger picture in motion. And so they taught me how to continuously believe that better days and better times were coming, even though I didn't see the physical manifestation of it, if that makes sense to you. You know, um, they kept me encouraged and helped me to understand that understand the importance of not being bitter. And and I want to bring this out because I think it's important to understand that sometimes different things can happen to us in our lives and bitterness is something that can set in, you know, because that one question that we begin to ask ourselves, why me? You know, why yeah. does this have to happen to me? You know, what did I do? Again, as I you know mentioned earlier and um, you know, and you, you start to be resentful because you feel that everybody else is doing things that you can't do. Um, and so there were a lot of things that went on. You know, I, I had a lot of difficult times in school. And, you know, when I put my mind and rewind and think about my earlier school years, I don't really have a lot of wonderful memories. Um, because I went to school, you know, I was teased. You know, I went to school and. I was around even adults and faculty, and I can talk about this now as an adult. You know, this these are things that happened to me. I was around teachers and adults that really didn't understand, and I didn't feel as though I got their support. You know, um, I truly felt like a loner. It was just me against everyone else, you know. And, um, you know, my mother spent so much time down at the school fighting for me to have equality of education and to help level that playing field for me because I was entitled to an education like everyone else. Yes, I may have lost my sight, but make no mistake, you know, there was nothing wrong with my mind. You know, I I could think I, I I was smart. You know, I just needed a different way of being taught because I couldn't see. And so for years, that was a constant battle going back and forth because I did not get that level. That playing field was not level for me. And, um, I, I would, I would say that I don't, you know, things really didn't change for me as an individual, meaning, you know, my, my, my perspective on life, my perspective on me and my perspective on how things were really, uh, uh you know, were, were how things, the things that were happening to me, it didn't really change until I would say, it was probably going on in the high school. And this is when, you know, I really, and I've loved music all my life. I've, I've sang all my life. I was always a singer. I came from a, a very musically inclined family. But it was when I hit high school that I really brought out publicly, you know, the, the musical abilities and the musical talents that I had been blessed with. And so I used music as my way of introducing myself to the world because you have to understand when people looked at me, you know, other students, people, what they saw was this blind kid, this, this blind student, you know, and I wanted people to see, you know, um, that that William had a whole lot more to offer. You know, he wasn't just this kid with a disability. You know, I had you know, I had skills in there. I had talents. I had abilities, and it wasn't until I really, you know, got brave enough to really start showing my musical abilities in where I saw that that was my avenue to introduce to others William Weeks. So people got to see the heart of William, and not just focus so much on, you know, this the surface level this this disability that William had. You know. So, I would say, you know, really, that high school era is really when things begin to change for me. And it changed for me because, again, my outlook on things began to change. And I saw, you know, as we say clichéically, that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. What I saw was, yeah, I, you know, this may be an opportunity for me to really showcase that there are things about me that are special outside of the fact that I can't see. I didn't want that to be the focus. I didn't want people just to see that, you know, I was just this blind kid. Oh, woe is William. You know, I wanted people to, I wanted to be able to fit in. I wanted to, you know, find some identity and, and really find me and, 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 and connect with other folks who, um, you know, who who wanted to truly have an opportunity to be friends with William. Yeah. And
1: that, that makes complete sense. And yeah, I know kids can be so cruel, especially to others who are different to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know how much of that is them just kind of lacking the emotional intelligence to be aware of how their actions and words impact others.
0: Oh yes. And and I want to back up and say this, that, you know, in hindsight, yep, yeah, the kids were, kids were cruel. Kids were mean, but I want to share with you. And, um, and and I want to say this, adults can be mean too.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, adults can be mean and, um, and I've experienced it on both levels, not just children, you know, but adults who were mean and adults who, um, quite frankly, should have never been in the education platform, should have never been in the education arena, some of the things that I've had to endure Mm -hmm. in school, not just from children, but from adults alike. And so, yeah, I've, I've experienced all kinds of things. And, and of course, today we will call that bullying. But yeah, I've experienced kids stealing things from me, taking things from me, pushing me down. Um, and, and you know, one, one incident that really stands out in my mind, and I, I mean, there are quite a few, but there, there's one incident that really stands out in my mind that touches my heart every time I think about it, is that I remember I was in a cafeteria one day. And you know, uh, you go through the line and you get your, you know, your tray. And at that time, somebody would, you know, have to kind of guide me to where there was an open seat or where I could, you know, really get an opportunity to sit. And I, I remember that this one particular time, you know, there was some kids and, you know, these kids were always picking and, um, I needed some help. I was trying to identify what was on my plate because I really I I didn't know what was on there. So you know, at that time, I I had to kind of feel and try to figure it out with with my utensil or fork, or whatever. But so there was these kids that came by and they and they you know they thought it was funny to spit in my food. What? You know, yeah, I've experienced some things. I'm I'm going to be honest with you that you know I'm going to be candid, you know, in this interview because you know the story really needs to be told and I you know I, Mm. I've experienced that. Um, where, where kids came by and spit in my food threw all kinds of inanimate objects in my food, through, you know, through things in in my food. And, um, and, and this was not a one-time event or two-time, you know, scenario. You know, I've had things happen to me along those lines quite often. I, I remember, um. I can remember a time also where, you know, uh, you know, some kids had my backpack. Um, you know, I'd put it down, and I try to put things down in a place where I know I could remember it. You know, kids would grab my backpack and take my stuff and go. You know, throw it in the trash. You know, and um, you know, I, I, I didn't know where my stuff was, and, and and you know, just all kinds of acts of cruelty. You know, things that I've dealt with. Um, That's pretty horrible you know, I've, Yeah, I've, I've had I, I can remember Instances where kids You know, blew their nose and wiped it on my clothes You know All, all kinds of things You know, that I've experienced And, and <laughs> that happened to me And um, yeah. You know, thinking about it now My heart just kind of You know, it's just something to think about you know, but it made me stronger it made me the man that i am today amazingly but um yeah. and i also want to say this you know along with that i can remember cruelty from adults you know I, I want to share this story because it's it's again this is my story and and i want this to to be known i remember that there was a time and you know i won't say what grade but i remember i was in a classroom and you know one of the biggest challenges i had in the classroom was really you know, being able to follow because at that time, you know, everything was written up on the chalkboard, you know, your assignments, what they want you to do, even instructions for an assignment or something. It was written up on the chalkboard. So I couldn't see the chalkboard. That was always the issue, you know, and I always cried out for help. Like, I, you know, it, it, if someone could spend some time, come to me, tell me what's on the chalkboard, help me get it down, understand what I'm supposed to be doing. But so I remember this one time that this happened in a classroom. And, um, you know, there was a teacher at this time that wore glasses mm-hmm. and, you know, I remember at this particular assignment and, you know, they would call students up, you know, to participate, you know, come to the front of the classroom and, and answer a question or something, you know, just typical things. And so I got called up to the classroom and, was, you know, they asked me some questions um, and I, I didn't know. Well, and part of it was because I didn't really see what was going on. And so this particular teacher took their glasses off and they put their glasses on my face. And they told me these words, and I remember this as those yesterday said, as I understand it. If I take my glasses off, you and I are probably, you know, pretty much in in the same predicament as far as what we're able to see. So if I put my glasses on, maybe you can see what's going on up here on this chalkboard and you can see what's going on in the classroom. And, you know, we we won't continue to have the, you know, these issues. I remember that as though that was yesterday. Wow. And, And I remember sitting and I remember standing there crying. I remember I was in the middle of his classroom, just sitting there, just booing, just crying. And um, so, yeah, I not only have I experienced bullying on the level of working or, or or experiencing it with children, I've experienced it from adults too. Just downright cruelty.
1: I can't imagine, and I'm really sorry you had to enjoy that. I can't, I, I don't understand how people can be so cruel. I know you said that before that the school was, you know, it was, it was a poor school, it was a poor district um, and the facilities weren't set up or designed to help a student with, with your particular needs. But was there anyone that you felt that you could turn to or speak to or, or get help from during those times?
0: But there was a student, her name was Renata and she was like my angel. And I, you know, I, th- I think about it because and you might say, why? Well, I remember when I was outside on the playground, she was one of the very few who would take the time to play with me, take the time to come and do things with me. And and I remember uh, some incidents, but this one particular one, I was out on the playground and I was always this brave kid. You know, I I couldn't see and I. You know, but I wanted to be out there where the action was. you know, I wanted to be out there doing things like the other you know the other kids were. Um, I didn't realize some of the dangerous situations I put myself in, not being able to see, but uh you know out there running around and what have you. So I would make attempts to be out there running and just to play. and I remember one time I was running and you know again just playing as a young kid. And I was running into it, was, it. Used to be a a metal pole that was sticking out of the ground on on this playground. Um, mm. uh, you know, I don't remember the details about it, but it was a pole. And I remember as I was moving towards this pole, <laughs> and I remember feeling this body. <laughs> uh, this it come from nowhere. I mean, I you know, she just came and pushed me out the way, <laughs> um, and she fell on top of me. and and i remember her telling me that you were about to run into a pole (laughs) and it's i i remember that it it was just it was a special moment for me you know Uh, and she just came from nowhere and it was like all these different situations and scenarios where i really needed somebody and just she just showed up she was there and um Well, and there have been some couple other students, but she has really been, you know, she's been solid. You know, she and and down through the years, you know, we've kept this really, really close friendship um, and and just kept up with each other. So it's it's, she's been really, really special, you know, and someone that I hold dear in my heart because of, uh, you know, she took the opportunity to really, you know, get to really get to know William. There's a nurse that stepped to the plate in a humongous way i would be in class and this nurse is someone that i would end up going to and she would help me with my work mm-hmm. now i'm in the classroom where the teachers are and they would they would write me a pass and the pass would say something along the lines of you know going to seek help going to find help literally as amazing as this, as this may sound, but that's literally what the pass would say. And I would take that pass and go out, and they would tell me, you know, go and see if you can find somebody that can help you with this work. Mm-hmm. Now, I am I am this kid with, with this special need, with this disability in the classroom. And in the classroom, it, I didn't get the help. And it appeared as though, you know, I was, you know, as a kid, this is the way I felt. I'm getting on people's nerves. Because people had to go outside of their comfort zone to try to step to the plate to help Will Weeks. You know, they had to, you know, you know, get out of this zone of comfortability, do extra things because you've got this student in the classroom that you have to, you know, make the reasonable accommodations for. But that's how I felt. They would send me out here to just go find help. I remember too many times I would walk up and down the hallways, literally. Just trying to find someone who could help me with work. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had a nurse. Her name was Miss Ashby. And I can't tell you how many times I went in this nurse's office to sit down and say to her, I need help. And what's amazing about this is that this this nurse would, in the midst of trying to tend to sick kids, trying to tend to kids coming in there who you know don't feel well, or you know you have kids that came in who have different health issues. They had to give them specific medications or what have you. This nurse, this was not her job to do this. Mm-hmm. This is not what she was there for. Would take the time and sit down in between tending to children who aren't feeling well and, and, and all of the above. Would sit down and try to work with Will Weeks. Try to work with me. Try to help me in the areas that I needed. Um, and and would make sure that I got back to class. Or if I stayed there longer then, you know, the duration of the class, to make sure I got to the next class. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. I will forever hold her in my heart. Because that was the greatest display of selflessness that I can tell you I've probably ever seen. And she didn't do it once. Or twice, or three times, or four times. This was often that she did this.
1: That's really incredible. And, you know, part of your story, you talk about this, you know, finding hope in what would seem like a a hopeless situation and, you know, these little rays of light who show up time and time again. Right. Uh, And you mentioned on your website uh, uh, your high school counselor played a big role
0: in your life it's twofold to this. So it, it wasn't really the high school counselor per se, not the high school guidance counselor in this particular scenario, but I'm going to come back to that. What it was, it was a rehabilitation counselor okay. from an agency, uh, DBVI, which is called the department for the blind and vision impaired. All of my, the, the tenure that I had through school, um, I really didn't have access to the appropriate um, technology that I needed to really be productive. Mr. Edward Connor stepped up and the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired in Virginia stepped up in a huge, huge way. They came to the rescue of my family. Working with me. Um to try to make sure that as a student with an indivi- with a disability and as a, and a as an individual with a disability mm-hmm. that I had access to what was available for me and he not only stepped up in a big way he he would go to meetings with my mother and would would sit around those IEP meetings And and with my mother and talk about, you know, and would question, why is it that here we have a student in high school and the duration of his, you know, he's not getting what he needs. He doesn't even have access to it. And he's the one that made sure that a lot of the technology that I needed I would have it at home because make no mistake you know we we could not afford this kind of technology you know this is this is my story my history this is what I come from we you know we didn't have thousands of dollars for this kind of equipment to have at home this man put a lot of time a lot of hours coming over to my house and, and mind you the office that he worked in was over an hour away from where we lived, and he would come every week or an associate of his working with the agency would come and to sit and not only provided me with the equipment that I need, but would train me on it so that I learned how to use it and to be proficient in the usage of it. Um, Mr. Eric O'Connor, he's, he's, you know, he's retired I know he, it's been some years since he's retired and I've kind of lost track of him. But I tell you what, that, that's another guardian angel that um. has, you know, was was there to help me in some of the, the, the darkest moments of my life, to be honest with you. Uh, the school counselor. Uh, and, and I will tell this quick story. <laughs> so. In my last year of high school. One of the biggest goals that my family had for me, and this is what they would say, they would say, William, let's just make sure that you graduate first and foremost. Let's just, let's start there. Let's make sure that we can get you out of high school. And that will be a humongous accomplishment considering all the things that I had to go through and, and what, you know, what we were dealing with. Um. So that was the push. Whatever it takes, we got to get you we got to get you out of there. We, you know, we got to make sure you graduate and then we can look at what plan B will be you know, to help you with your life and so on and so forth. And this is one of the most amazing things ever. And, and very few people know this. But during the time, you know, my sister had applied to become, you know, the guidance counselor, you know, at, at the school. in this particular county where I grew up (laughs) and she became the guidance counselor at the school where I was at wow she became my guidance counselor how incredible and how amazing (laughs) is that And, and I will say that my sister was an integral part of helping me to have what I needed to get out of there. Yeah. There were moments I would come sit in her office, and she would, you know, be working with me with things. And 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 and, and what's amazing is you know that she was taking time away from you know, you know she's meeting with students, you know that's busy position you know that's not what you're there for but you know this was what happened and and she was committed to making sure that I had what I needed to graduate and 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 so the family could just kind of look at what the next steps would be so just an amazing set of moving pieces you know with the story there. Well, you know, despite
1: all of those issues and challenges, you did have those individuals who, who were able to step up for you. Absolutely. How did you, I guess, stop yourself from, from resenting some of these people and, you know,
0: going through these
1: things that you did?
0: You know, I, I, and, and this is where I reference back to my mother. You know, it's it's just important to understand just, you know, the, the influence um, and just how much of a rock this woman was in my life. I remember at home and as I got older, you know, there were those teachers that believed that, you know, I wasn't being truthful as far as what I could see or what I could do. And I've always been very independent. And and, and I'm going to lead back to this question that you asked me, but I've always been very independent and Mm -hmm. I've always been the kind of kid that some way, somehow I'm going to find a way to make it happen. That's who I was. I was just—I was built that way, you know. And a lot of that was through the encouragement of my mother, who who just continued to to just mold me into this individual that don't let anything stop you, and don't allow others to place a sentencing on your life that says what the limitations are going to be for you, you know. So, as this independent as this independent kid, I was always looking for ways of of. You know, if there's things I wanted to do, I might not have been able to accomplish or achieve that using sight. But I looked at what are the other alternatives? You know, is there some kind of way I can accomplish the same thing? And so um, a, a lot of times it was it was um that, well, look at what Will did. You know, you know, William was outside and, you know, he was playing or he was, you know, playing a sport or something. And a lot of times it was the thought process that, well, obviously he can see more than what he says. I mean, look at, what he, look at what he's out there doing. And they didn't understand that I had spent so much time trying to figure out how to make the necessary adaptations for myself to be able to do some things that, and, and psych may not have had anything to do with it. But so because of that there were times that some work that I didn't finish in school in class because I did need extra time a lot of times to finish some things. Um, if I didn't finish, I had to take some of this stuff home for homework uh, because I can remember distinctly there were some teachers that just felt like I didn't want to do it in class. Mm. Everybody else finished. Why didn't you? Literally, I mean, I, I, these were comments that were made to me. And so one of the things that we had in the earlier years was we called them definitions you know, which is where we had a spelling book, you know, we had spelling words Yeah. and we had to look in the back of the spelling book for, you know, the definition to those words and, and write the definitions down. Or we had to match the definition to words, you know, whichever, the, whatever way the assignment went or however they want us to do it. And I remember I would go home as this young kid with 60 and 70 and 80 definitions and this happened because this was my punishment. I could have finished it in class but I didn't because I obviously didn't want to I guess I wanted to be rebellious and, and I'm, you know I'm just being candid yeah so these things I had to go home and do them so I would go home as, as this young child in, in, in fourth and fifth grade with all these definitions and I remember sitting up there with my mother my mom would I would sit there. To two and three, to two and three o'clock in the morning, and this is the truth, because I could not see the spelling book, because the print was, you know, I couldn't see it; it's too small. And so my mom would have to sit there and try to read me the words, help me learn to spell them. And also look at, you know, helping me to define or or really she would be looking up the definitions in the back and telling me what they were. Why is this significant? And and why does this tie into what you asked me about resentment? And and I'm going there. So. You you have to understand, so my mother um, came out of school in, in elementary. She had to come out in her elementary years because during those times, you know, we know that in in those days, that a lot of times, um, you know, the older children had to sometimes come out and help take care of the younger ones. Yeah, you know, um, and and that's just the way it was. You know, it was a matter of survival during those times. And and so, my mom had to come out of school in 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 um in elementary school, and so, a lot of things that as I got older that I was working on, they they posed to be challenging to her as well. So here's what you had, and and this is where I'm gonna bridge this to what you asked me. I'm home with my mother, and it was just my mother and I, because again, my father died when I was a young kid. I was six or seven years old, my father died. He had pneumonia and cancer. All my other brothers and sisters were much older, grown and married, (laughs) and, and on their own. I was the late bloomer by far, so I was the last young one there and it was just my mother and i and my mother had a hard time sometimes pronouncing the words so here's what you had this this is the, the the power of of how i'm going to bridge all this together my mom would sit there and try to struggle reading me the words and i would say mom just spell it and i'll tell you what that word is yeah and my mom would spell it and i would say okay i know what that word is mom and then she, and I would tell her, mom this is what it is literally and my mom would have to go in the back of the spelling book and look and, and and you know look for that word and and would try to read me the definition and we would sit up all night long working on this stuff but I'm going to tell you what that woman said to me I would be sitting up crying half the night and my mom was just sitting there, you know, I had older mother, my mom would just be sitting there just humming to herself, you know, you know nothing bothered, it just rock solid, nothing bothered her, just strong, you know, and I, I remember my mom would say to me, she would take me by my face and she would lift my face up at the time, and she would look at me and she would say, this is what she would say to me, she would say, little boy weeks, little boy weeks. Every dream that you have, son, don't give up on it, but keep it close, tucked away in your heart. Wow. This is what she would say to me. Little boy weeks, little boy weeks. This is what she was really serious. When she looked at me and said, little boy weeks, I stood at attention. And she said, keep those dreams and everything that it is that you want to do. Keep it tucked away in your heart. It's going to happen. And my mom taught me, she said, son, you don't understand why you're going through a lot of things that you're going through right now. This is what she would say to me. She said, but son, one day you're going to understand that a lot of these challenges and a lot of things that you're dealing with now, it is for you to be able to share with others how you are able to overcome. My mother told me, she said, son, you're going to look back on this, and this is going to be a story that you're going to share to help empower other people to understand the importance of not giving up. That's powerful. This is what she would tell me as a kid. And she kept that in my heart. Hatred has no place in your heart. Resentment has no place in your heart being angry and, and being upset and 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 mad and bitter at other people it has no place here and she would explain to me why you know that that having those things allowing those things to take root or have a seed in your heart it does nothing but hurt you the other people have gone on with their lives but you're still left stagnant because you have allowed someone else to place this sentencing on your life and, 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 have, and, have, and have basically put you in this cocoon to say, what's a possibility? My mother told me, she said, break free. Break free. And I took, I held on to her every word like this was just the last thing I was going to ever hear. And it kept me grounded. It it kept me sane, to be honest with you. And I knew then that when Mom would would say those things to me, I could fight another day. Yeah, I had a little bit more fight left in me. Well,
1: that's that's so amazing and so powerful. Um, that you know your mom was. In those moments speaking life into you and and you know affirming you as a person and your intrinsic worth, and i guess teaching you the lesson that your sight or your lack of sight wasn't what defined your worth and your value to 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 the world and to those around you and you know young you know your the things that you've gone on to do so far is is testament to that so the podcast that you you host uh, called moving beyond life's giants uh, and you know yeah. talking about the whole concept of that being around uh, other people talking about the obstacles and the challenges that they've experienced in in their life and and how they've overcome those obstacles and and use that to, to not just empower themselves but empower others as well and I think that's just such an amazing concept and, and, and such an amazing thing because it's it's one thing for us as as people to have our own challenges and come out of that. But you know we we went through those things for a reason. It wasn't just to build us up, but how do we build up our neighbor, our family, our friends, the, the people Absolutely. who who are also going through similar situations and and need us to be angels to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so uh, a couple of years ago you you spent some time you, uh, you were you're raising money for uh, some some glasses uh, called e-sites i did <laughs> and uh this this was they got this got covered by a by a couple of um, news news channels and you did you did eventually get the glasses and it allowed you for the first time to see the vases of your children and your wife uh, and to, to see your mom's face again that you hadn't seen in, in in many, many years. What was that moment
0: like for you? I So I will say this. You know, I had reserved in my own mind, you know, that, you know, and, and I was okay with this. I would probably never get the opportunity to see, you know, people's faces or, or in, in any level of clarity. Um, and I was okay with that because what I held fast to was, um, you know, people's voices and, 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 you know, when people, what I thought about people, I would think about, you know, what what ran across my mind was not an image, but a, a, an, an audible voice. So it was pretty, it was it was pretty awe inspiring to be honest with you, and that whole story was just something incredible that happened because with e sight, um, you know, they ended up uh, the glasses were donated to me. Um, there were people who really stepped stepped to the plate in a huge way to really give donations um, to really help out with that. This was some, some groundbreaking technology with these glasses. Um, and um, it was really pretty amazing when I put those on and, and you could really see the enhanced colors. You could really see, you know, the clarity of people's faces and what have you, um, you know, you could, you could, you know, you could look around and see things in, in high definition, if you will. And that's something I've never really been able to do. Um, so I, it was really it was one of those experiences that um, I really never forget. You know, just that initial putting them on and looking at the, the crisp environment, you know, around me. Um, you know, it, it just it just reminded me that. All of the things I've dealt with in my life, um, you know, none of it was ever in vain. And I'll continue to go the distance and just keep pushing and, and, and just keep doing what I'm doing. And and uh, hopefully my life and life story will certainly just kind of touch and, and, and empower and inspire other people.
1: Wow. Yeah, that, that must have been so special to see your kids. And you said that you, I guess, resolved in yourself that you wouldn't have gotten that chance. But, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And the glasses were wonderful. They came with a set of challenges that we, um, you know, that continued use with them that we just really didn't know until a little later, you know, some of the other challenges, uh, you know, some of the side challenges that came up, um, you know, with prolonged use of those glasses, I started having some other uh, things that were happening and I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what was happening as far as, you know, extreme headaches and some other things, but, um The glasses were really just amazing and putting them on, you felt for a few moments like you were like Superman. <laughs> you know. Yeah, really. I mean, it, you know, uh, they, they just kind of gave you that feel because of the different features and the things that you could do with those glasses. I mean, they were almost like binoculars. You could put them on and, you know, these glasses could zoom into something, you know, all the way across a football field and you could look at it as though you were standing four or five feet away from it. So it was an amazing experience. It truly was. So,
1: all of those things that you've been through and moving beyond your own life's giants, what is the one lesson that you would take away above all others? What's the one thing that you would say has been absolutely key to building you and making you and bring you to this point that you are in life now? I
0: think ah, so many things, but I think one of the, the, the key concepts that I hold on to, and I say this a lot, is two things, two things number one when i find myself now just kind of want to get in a little pity party party about something you know and you know there's some struggles i'm dealing with i always think of three things reshape realign and refocus reshape realign and refocus and i've truly found that to be that is a champion's mentality you know what i mean um sometimes there's some things you know you just got to look at it with a different perspective and step back sometimes and say, you know, I've done this, maybe this particular way I'm doing it is not working and maybe I need to get an opportunity to really step back and look at this from a different viewpoint um, and and, and look at what is it, look at from the perspective of what is it that I really need to do to uh, create some momentum to get it done. So I always say to myself, okay, William, it's time to reshape. It's time to realign and it's time to refocus um, and, and kind of put aside the things that don't matter. I would say that some so many times in our lives we focus on things that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I mean, is it <laughs> so I'm learning to really put aside those things that um, that that don't really help. They don't really help with uh, what you're looking to do. There's really no um, credence for its purpose, so I put it aside. Okay, that that's even with people that's in your life. You know, situations, scenarios. Sometimes you gotta learn to let some things go so you can truly get to where you need to be. The other thing that I think has really helped me, and I'm working on this now. You know, something I started writing about, and I'm I'm working on this book. is called um, Who Needs Sight When You Have Vision. Wow. <laughs> Who needs sight when you have vision? That's amazing. And, and, uh, this is something that came to me a couple years ago, because I think as, you know, we as individuals, as humanity, we focus so much on, you know, what we can see ahead of us. Um, and, you know, we're bound by time, space, and distance because that's you know, that's eyesight. We're, we're, we're bound by time, space and distance and distance. And with me, everything has always been looking at the bigger picture, which utilizes vision, you know, and and so when I find myself in some situations and scenarios, you know, I say, you know what? I don't I don't need sight to make this happen. I can do this. We can find some other way to make this thing a reality. And that's when, you know, I kind of kick it to a mode where I'm I'm utilizing vision. What's the ultimate outcome that I want to see happen? What steps is it that I need to take to get to, you know, the ultimate vision, if you will, the ultimate scenario or, uh, you know, the ultimate outcome of what I'm looking for? And that's what I do, you know, And I, and I put one foot ahead of the other one and I just march, you know. And um, that's pretty much the life of William Weeks. You know, it. this is what I do. I, I I look at things very differently than a lot of people, you know, because I've been through a lot of things in my life and I, I look at things 360. I'm a very peripheral thinker and I'm I, ha- I don't allow barriers to prevent me from, you know, reaching what I feel that ultimate destination needs to be, you know. We're going to move it one way or another. It's getting out of the way so we can keep on moving. <laughs> so, absolutely. Thanks for that, William. I,
1: I think that's such an amazing concept. Who needs sight when you've got vision? Um, that's right. And, you know, as, as I, I guess in a way, you having, you know, lost your sight, and while it, no one would have wished for that to have happened, this journey that you've been on you needed to go on that journey so that you could become who you become and that you could you could have been able to help you know the countless others that you've you've been able to using your experiences and tapping into having moved beyond on your own life's journey. so yeah thank you thank you so much for that i think i think that's that's such an amazing thing
0: thank you i i think if i had one last thing to say it would be go the distance go the distance Sometimes we truly don't know um, what lies on the other side because we get right to the the brink of a breakthrough to, to really see what the other side brings and we just quit. Sometimes it's going to be difficult, sometimes it's going to be challenging, sometimes it's just not going to be easy, it's not going to be comfortable. But I declare anything that's worth having, it's worth the time that it takes. It's worth the trials and tribulations that you have to go through to obtain it. And I want to say this, you need to have a pioneer mindset. Um, Something that I often say when I get an opportunity to speak with people is we all fall in one category or the other. We're either a pioneer or a settler. Pioneers are like the old Star Trek movie that they dare to go where no other man has ever gone. You know, they don't have a problem with making tracks through the woods, creating their own paths. They have no problems with um, taking their little axe and, and chopping down the trees and clearing space, clearing a path to get to where they need to get to. Whereas settlers tend to not be quite as brave. You know, settlers, you know, like to rely on the tried and true method. And, uh, you know, they want to travel those roads that have already been paved, those roads that someone can can kind of send a message back to say, hey, here's what things are going to look like. You know, they, they want it comfortable. You know, they they want a sense of knowing what's ahead. Um, and sometimes in life, it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes for you to get to where you need to be, you've got to just you got to launch out there in the deep. And you can't be afraid of not surviving. You can't be afraid of drowning. Sometimes you got to launch on out there and have faith that what you believe is on the other side or what you believe is in the distance for you to reach and obtain is possible. But at the end of the day, it's how badly do you want it? And it's do you believe because belief is so powerful? And that would be something that I would leave with your audiences and the folks that are listening to this
1: thank you for listening
0: i hope you enjoyed this episode
1: be sure to follow us on instagram at manting podcast or check out the website mantingpodcast.com please like comment and subscribe to the show on whichever streaming platform you're listening to this on as the more feedback we get the better we can make the show i'm your host Jaden mclaren and this was manting (laughs) I've certainly been inspired and touched by your story. It's, you know, it's thank been, you. It's been powerful and, you know, really given
0: me something to think about and food for thought. And- thank you so much for having me on here and getting an opportunity to share this story with you, with your listeners, and. Um... I hope that this is certainly a blessing to someone. It will be. It will be. So if someone's hearing
1: this and, you know, they might be going through an experience or they they might know someone or a family member who's going through an experience or having issues in terms of, um, you know, disabilities and so on, um, how can how can they get in touch with you?
0: Absolutely. So there's a couple different ways. Um, you can certainly visit me on my website, which is www.aboutweeks.com. Once again, that's www.aboutweeks.com aboutweeks.com there um, my all my information is there if you want to send me an email um, there's contact information different methods of how you can certainly reach me Um, if you're on social media um, i certainly have a strong presence on facebook and you can certainly reach out to me there which is fb.me forward slash about weeks which is fb Dot me forward slash about weeks and uh, I'd certainly love to talk with you and um, you know get, get an opportunity to correspond with you
1: I want see, it, see-